morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on whatever time zone you happen to be joining us in. This is Kenneth Wong, Senior Editor for DE247. Today, we are speaking to Michael from Nexa3D about 3D printing industry, the industry that is evolving quite a bit. So, Michael, welcome. Would you mind saying a few words about uh, your own company, the market you serve? Okay, to start off with, thank you, Kenneth, for having me on the podcast. I'm happy to take a bit of time and speak to you about uh, the perspectives of myself and Nexa 3D on additive, the additive industry. Uh, so Vent- uh, Nexa 3D is a company from Ventura, California, and we are approximately five years old and we are in the photopolymer resin-based area within 3D printing and, and our niche is, is building uh, industrial scale polymer processes uh, with an open materials platform. And I guess what, what our real claim to fame or secret sauce is, is that we are able to harness a light engine technology and, and a curing layer technology uh, that can make our printers go extremely fast. So this is really enabling extremely high throughput, uh, as well as even down at the desktop level now, recently we announced a new product called the Zip, which gives prototypers the ability to also print very quickly. Uh, so this has the benefits of either throughput in the in the in the volume manufacturing space, or just design iteration pace at the at the prototyping side of things. So that's the company. Uh, we have approximately seventy people, I believe, on board now, and we're growing very quickly. And, and you know, we have uh, big dreams in the additive industry. Michael, what are the market segments that you serve? And in the last one or two years, a lot of manufacturing businesses changed quite dramatically because of the pandemic. Do you notice any kind of dramatic changes in the market segments that you serve? Yeah, sure. Thank you. Uh, so I mentioned we are a polymer-based company, a photopolymer-based company. We also have uh, thermoplastics with our, our larger uh, industrial SLS machine. So that is where we're fitting initially. And uh, traditionally we've gone after these areas that have high throughput needs with the, the leaning towards a, a, a functional product, an end use part that we want to help people manufacture in, in scale. Uh, in terms of what we've seen growing, obviously the, the, the pandemic has, has changed a lot. Uh, so we, we're, we're seeing, I guess, against the backdrop of just sort of a slow increase in the number of people that are transitioning designs to end use parts. Uh, on top of that, COVID, I think, brought a big emphasis on uh, biomedical and, and medical products, uh, areas where we saw that the supply chain necessarily couldn't keep up. Um, 3D printing was able to really step in the gap there and, and quickly certify workflows to be able to provide for those use cases. So that's probably the two areas where uh, we've historically um, placed ourselves and, and wanted to help the marketplace. 3D printing started out as a prototyping method, but now, like you have pointed out, a lot of people are exploring the ideas of using it for mass production. What's the difference? What's the difference between using AM for prototyping and using it as a manufacturing means? Yeah, I, I've just always felt that this really came down to the caliber and quality of the materials that are available in conjunction with a particular 3D printer's print process to be able to access those, those functional properties. Um, you know, in the, in the beginning, 
when prototyping the materials were not as mature, they were great for fit, um, form and fit type prototyping and, but not necessarily maybe ready for, for functional prototyping and, and definitely not ready yet for end use parts. And so uh, as the industry has matured and larger players have become more excited about it, uh, they've brought their expertise to bear to solve that problem. So as you know, that problem is being solved, you're seeing more and more of these uh, technologies and go into you know, end use parts. So that's, I think, the, the big difference that has changed. But you know, what's really cool now is that we're at this point now where we have these validated materials and these validated workflows that work for end use parts. So now the idea is, okay, well, let's start doing that at the very beginning. So let's prototype with that validated workflow and use those types of materials at the very beginning so when it does come time to scale up and you're going through, you know, 10 units to hundred units or hundred units to a thousand units, you know, that there's going to be a validated workflow for you to grow into. And you don't have to, you know, have this friction point of, of revalidating a new material or switching to a, to a new technology. So kind of working the process, you know, inverting the pyramid here is really going to help prototypers uh, get to their final part faster um, by being able to leverage those you know, ecosystems of materials from the very beginning. What's your advice on identifying the right kind of product or the, kind, the right kind of part of projects for additive manufacturing? Sure, yeah. I, I, I forgot who said this. And uh, you know, I once heard it was said that you know, for traditional subtractive manu- manufacturing, um, the, the more complex or the more holes you drill into something, the more expensive it becomes, um, for additive manufacturing, it, the opposite is true. You know, the more holes you create, uh, you actually make the part cheaper because you're using less material. And by the nature of the print process, it can handle as much complexity as you can throw at it. So when I think of, uh, parts that are good for additive manufacturing, it's sort of a combination, um, well, at least for prototyping, we'll start there, uh, a combination of both you know, low numbers where, you're, where the design itself hasn't maybe crystallized into exactly what you want. So you still want to uh, try a, a, parameterized, a parameterized space where you want to find your right, hone in on your right design and you need a lot of iteration. Um, so that, that's one aspect. Uh, the other aspect is uh, complexity. Uh, you know, the, you want to be able to take advantage of the uniqueness of the, of, of the additive manufacturing process to be able to achieve uh, complexity almost kind of at zero cost. So things that have, things you would like to add more complexity to or more complexity gives you um, better properties, whether that's through light weighting with, with the lattice uh, or, you know, doing um, generative design to make sure that you just need enough material in the right places to achieve your, your functional outcomes, your functional objectives. Uh, those are things that are really well designed for uh, you know, a 3D printer. So then I guess the last one I think is, is, is time. You know, if you don't have a lot of time um, to get to your end result, having a tool like a 3D printer um, in your office space or at your, in your lab space is really a, like a gift because it, it can basically just let you go faster and in conjunction with the with your design and actual printing you can have a, a much quicker tighter uh, loop of design and 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 feedback 
to get to your final part much quicker. Uh, so those are, I think, the areas where you know the, the AM is is your, your best bet. Um, I sometimes see people say, "Oh, I want to print out a plate or a flat stock or a tube or something that um, traditional manufacturing does really well." And you know, sure, you can do it. It's totally possible, um, but may not be leveraging all the the great superpowers that that an additive process has. Very good point. So, Michael, are there any customers, specific examples of usages among your customers that bring out what you call as the superpower of 3D printing? Sure, Kenneth, great question. Uh, There are a number that come to mind. I think one that I would like to highlight here uh, is that we work with a mobility company called Arkimoto, and they make this really amazing uh, bike or e-bike that allows people to, you know, modern mobility. And I think one of the nice things there is that this is, you know, a, a traditional, typical steel frame um, that needs a lot of performance. And uh, we've, you know, a lot of times there's a question about, okay, do you need a metal 3D printer? Um, you only have a plastic 3D printer. How can I help you? And this was a very interesting case where we uh, have a uh, metal casting product that actually prints the the positive of your part. Um, in, in a wax-like substance, which then can be, you know, burnt out in an investment cast or a lost wax casting process to then use metal to make that final part. Uh, so you're getting both the benefits of uh, any kind of generative design you'd like in that actual part, um, because you're using a 3D printer to create the, the, the positive. Uh, and you're also being able to get the benefits of whatever final uh metal or steel you want to use in that design for your final uh, physical properties. So it's kind of a really cool way to, to look at achieving best of both worlds uh, where you get your complexity and you also get, you know, the metals and the steels that you're used to in that final product. And so that's, I think, really a really cool example of, of how we've been able to help a company achieve a better part um, and a really great outcome for, for that particular application. Right. Very good. Michael, thank you so much for sharing your insights and experiences with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much, Kenneth. Anytime. All right. Until next time, this is Kenneth Wong for DE247, and we are out. Mm-hmm.